0: For your hospitality, you're a very warm group of people, and you've made me feel at home, and I thank you for that. And I praise God for the work that he is doing here in this community, and I pray that he will prosper your pastor and his studies and his attempts to lead this flock, and that he will bless you as you follow him, as he follows Christ. First Peter chapter 2. You know, sometimes when you go to a visiting, when you go to visit a church, you stand before them. You don't know their names, you don't know their faces, you don't know their life story. And so, sometimes you assume that everyone that is under the sound of your voice has made a public profession of faith in Christ and has followed the Lord in baptism and is a member of the church. And sometimes that's an incorrect assumption. Sometimes the people will come and warm the benches and participate in the service but have not made a public profession of faith in Christ and have not submitted themselves to the Lord in baptism and taken up their cross to walk among the group of people in the church. My prayer today, as we started praying, started speaking Friday night for revival, my prayer today... It's for you, if there's anybody here that qualifies in that category, it's for you that today you might make a public profession of faith in Christ and take up your cross and follow him. Be obedient to the call he has placed upon you. You know, sometimes people go for a long period of time attending, faithfully attending services, but never take that step. And you wonder, uh, one wonders, why? Why is that? Why is it that... They haven't made that public profession of faith in Christ. Why is it that they have not joined themselves into the Lord in baptism? And there's probably many reasons, but sometimes I believe people think, that they view the people, the members of the congregation, they see those people that are faithful to come and faithful over the years, and they see the members and say, well, "You know, I just don't, I just don't measure up to that group. I just don't, I just don't qualify. I just feel to be so full of sin, so full of..." full of inconsistencies and I just don't think I qualify I, I, I've, I've had some, some trouble in my past I've had some sin in my past I just don't qualify many times when a church is first founded the members will gather and they will they will write in a church covenant a church covenant it's a promise that they make together before God to live in a certain way to conduct themselves in a certain manner as they are members of the church. I haven't read your church covenant, I don't even know if you have one, but in our part of the country, many of the church covenants read very similarly. They start something like this, in the first part of the covenant gives what I believe are the qualifications for a church member. So today, if you are wondering who I qualify, listen to these qualifications. Ours reads like this. Forasmuch as Almighty God, by His grace, has been pleased to call us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And each of us has been regularly baptized upon a profession of our faith in Christ and have given ourselves to the Lord and to one another. You see, in those sets of qualifications, there are three qualifications given there. One, that you have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Two, that you have been baptized. And three, that you have submitted yourself, given yourselves over to the Lord, you have surrendered yourself to the Lord. I like that. I like that list of qualifications, you know why? Because it says nothing about social standing, it says nothing about skin color, it says nothing about what what you may offer, what you may bring to the table. You see if I was gonna form a church and I was gonna give my own set of qualifications and say how could I build a successful church, I wouldn't write it like that. I would say well first of all you must be financially secure that you can contribute to the needs of the church. And secondly, you must, you must have some kind of power. You must bring something to offer to us. Don't come if you have nothing to offer. You must bring something to take and build up this congregation. But that's not how the Bible paints it, it. That's not how we have painted it in this church covenant. I want to speak on one of those qualifications this morning, the first one. For as much as Almighty God has been pleased to call us out of darkness into His marvelous light, Turn to First Peter chapter 2. That's where that phrase is found in 1 Peter 2 in verse 9. He writes in verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. And here's the phrase that we just quoted. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous life he has been called by god out of darkness into his marvelous life well what in the world is that talking about what in the world is that talking about the eight verses before verse nine tells us what it means to be called out of darkness into his marvelous life so today if you're wondering do i qualify Am I one that could be a part of this church? Am I one who could be on the rolls of this church and be an active member of this church? Let's see. It describes two groups of people in this eight verses. One of the group has been called out of darkness into his mother's light. The other group has not. Let's begin reading in verse 1. First Peter 2 in verse 1. Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. That's a pretty ugly and hideous picture, does it not? Think about someone who has all these things, is full of enmity, is full of malice, is full of hatred, is full of, is full of bitterness, full of guile, deceit, a hypocrite. I can remember a time in my life when, you see, I was raised in the house of God from the very beginning of my life. My father was a preacher. I went to church three times a week all the days of my life. And so I knew exactly how it was that I should act in public. I knew exactly how it was that I should present myself before the church, and, and 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 at least during the times that we were meeting, I could smile, I could say Amen, I could I could sing the song, I could do all the things that you're supposed to do in church. But inside, it was more easily it could be described to me that though he draws near to me with his mouth, yet his heart is far from me. Hypocrite, full of deceit, of guile and envies, and all evil speaking. What a hideous picture is drawn for us there—a person who is full of all kinds of miserable things. And then it says in verse two, "as newborn babes." Now, this verse, first two verses are describing the same person. This is all one group of people here. This is not the two groups right here in verses one and two. The same group of people. But can you imagine a more sharp, a sharp contrast in the way he is described in verse one and two? This person is a hideous, grotesque-looking figure. He's full of—he's full of malice and guile and deceit and hypocrisy. Just sin is oozing and pouring from his very being. And then you have the picture of a newborn baby, and I have a newborn baby at home. And let me tell you, he is precious. He is sweet. His skin is so soft. hes, he's so. But you just, your heart just wells up in love when you look at him because that's my baby. It's just a sweet, innocent thing. It seems to be, although we know that even babies are not innocent. So on one hand, you have a hideous, grotesque looking figure. On the other hand, the picture of a soft, tender, loving baby. What has happened, the same person, what has made the difference? It is that he's been called out of darkness into his marvelous life. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Whereas before you were full of malice and hypocrisy and deceit and envying and all those species had no desire for the word of God. Now you as a newborn baby desiring the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You want, you, you, you're, you're coming to God. You want God. You want more of God. You're desiring God. Verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. What I ask you today. Have you tasted what the Lord is gracious? When you look over your life, and I look over my life, and realize the person that I was—that same one who knew what to say, but in his heart was thinking something completely different—oh, I say, yes, oh God, how gracious you have been to me, to turn me from a course that was that was that was headed straight for evil, going for hell—and you have turn me, Lord, and made me to desire your word and would even come and be in your church and stand before your people and share your gospel with your people. Oh, God, you've been gracious to me. Is that your story? Is that your story today? God has been gracious to me. If so, look what happens. You've before been full of envy, malice, guile, deceit, hypocrisy, evil speakings, but now what are you doing? To whom? Coming. To whom coming. Whereas before you were running away, now you're coming. Where are you coming to? You're coming to the Lord to Jesus Christ. To whom coming as into a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. I want you to imagine I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you're walking along a sandy path, and then you take another step, and you step into what you immediately perceive. To be quicksand, your feet begin to sink, your heart begins to panic, your heart begins to beat quickly to be. Oh no! What have I gotten myself into? And you struggle to you get that left foot out, and you get it and you pull it out, but your right foot goes in deeper. And then you really begin to panic. You begin to struggle with all your fight and all your all your force and all your strength, struggling. You have a quicksand, and you realize that they, I cannot get out of this quicksand. What is it that you need to what is it that would bring more comfort than anything to you if you stopped in the quicksand sinking, sinking, sinking farther and farther and farther down? Oh, if there could just be a big rock there. A big rock, a big shoe stone I could grab a hold of and to pull myself out, to pull myself out and to stand upon that rock in a place of safety. Oh, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? My friends, that's exactly the state that you and I are in without Jesus Christ. And he describes Jesus Christ here as being a strong rock, a living stone, someone who we can who we can cling to, someone who we can come to, someone who we can desire, and who will give us the strength that we need. My friends, those of us without Christ, those of us without Christ, are exactly as described there. We are sinking, 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 sinking. And Christ is the only the only source of strength. Christ is the only source of security. Christ is the only source of safety and salvation in this terrible predicament. To whom coming, as into a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He also is lively stonger to build up a spiritual house, when you build your house upon Jesus Christ, when you cling to the rock, when you say, "Oh, I'm in the sand. Just give me Jesus, or I die." You realize that when you cling to the rock that is Christ. He also is lively stung to build up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ you realize there's this great chasm between you and God. And there's no way that you can you can reach God. The more you try to reach God, the more you sink in sand. There is no fellowship, there's no relationship with God. My friends, the only way to have a relationship with God, the only way to have uh, be able to offer up anything to God, is by and through Jesus Christ, the living stone. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Notice that he does not say, I lay in Zion multiple cornerstones. There is only one cornerstone. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, and uh, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He didn't give you an option of stones with which to build your house of salvation. There is only one stone, and that is Jesus Christ. All the stones will crumble. All the stones will fall. All the houses will fall. They are built upon anything outside of Jesus Christ. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone that I have chosen. And I have appointed to stand to stand in the mediator between God and man. That I have appointed above his fellows because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. He is the one by whom you must build. Your house upon. He is the one through whom you have access to God. Without him we have no access to God. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. In Romans 9 it says it like this. He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is a day coming that maybe we don't think about that much, but there's a day coming, a sure, certain day, just as sure as the sun will rise and and, and, and set, just as sure as the world is held together by God's hand, there's a day coming of great shame. There will be a group of people in the last day that will be shamed to stand before God. Because they did not acknowledge, because they did not have any love for Jesus Christ. My friends, He that believeth on Him, He that clingeth to the rock, He that sees the rock as, as, the, as the rock that is higher than I, as we see. He that sees, sees that Jesus Christ is the cleft of the rock I can hide myself in. Oh, He heart my soul in the cleft of the rock. He is the rock with which I can hide my soul, which I can trust my soul, which I which I can lean my soul upon and have great security that my soul is secure. There's a day of shame coming, but he that believeth on him, he that believeth upon Jesus Christ will not be ashamed. Praise God for that. He will not be ashamed. He will not be ashamed. What do you think today of Jesus Christ? How do you view Jesus Christ? Is he the, is he a rock of defense? Is he a rock that will pull you out of that sinking sand? Is he a rock that you can build your, your house upon and be secure that your house is set upon a firm foundation, never to perish, never to fade away, never to crumble by any storms that life may bring? Oh, you see, my friends, life does bring many storms. Life brings many trials. Jesus Christ is a rock that not only we can, we can rest upon securely for our salvation, we can rest upon and know that our soul is secure in him, but also in the storms of life, and the storms are raging, and the winds are beating, and, the, and, and, and it seems like we will break in two because of the trials, because of the pain, because of the grief of life, Jesus Christ is the rock that we can lean, that we can depend upon. Those that have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light see Jesus Christ as being a rock upon which they can lean and rest their weary head. They have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. But well, there's another group of people described here as well. It says of these people that they have, instead of coming to Christ, instead of believing upon Christ, instead of coming and clinging to Christ, it says in verse 4 that, they have dis- that he has been disallowed indeed of men. In verse 7 it says, that unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, wherein also they were appointed. Whereas this first group of people, though they formerly had a hideous and grotesque figure, because they were full of deceit and, and vile things, they become as a newborn baby as they cling to this rock to which their soul can rest, which is their soul can reside. They see this rock as being a rock of defense. Because all the storms of life, against all the raging of Satan, against all the evil that's in the world, they see the rock of Jesus Christ as being that of great defense. This other group sees the rock as being a rock of offense. Of offense. They're offended by the rock. They see no need to build themselves upon the rock. In fact, it says this rock has been disallowed or rejected of men. In 1 Kings chapter 6, it describes, don't turn it describes for us, it describes for us the building of Solomon's temple. And when Solomon's temple was being built, there was the, 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 God had told them, I don't want to hear the sound of an axe. I don't want to hear the sound of a hammer. I don't want to hear any any iron sound, any, any sound of sawing of wood. I want no sounds like that when the temple is being constructed. So they would, they would, Fashion the stones. I they fashion the stones off site and then bring the stones onto on the site and build it and build the the the, uh, the, the 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 temple piece by piece. It is already fitted to fit together. Well, what would you do if you had a piece that didn't fit? Would you get a would you get a hammer out and a chisel? You better not. God has, has already commanded. Don't. I don't want to hear the sound of a hammer or an axe or any any sound of iron on the site of the temple. It was a holy place. It was a precious place. I don't want to hear the sound there. What would you do? You would take that, that, that piece and you would throw it out. You would reject it. You didn't need that piece because you couldn't use it. You couldn't, you couldn't fashion it like what you wanted it to be fashioned. They couldn't use it. says it to these people that the builders disallowed. They rejected the stone. They said, this stone doesn't fit. This stone doesn't fit what we think we need to build this, this house. What did they reject? They rejected the same stone that you consider to be precious. They rejected the same stone that you consider to be valuable. They rejected the same stone that you consider to be indispensable. I cannot live without this stone. Give me Jesus or I die. Give me Jesus or I perish. Give me Jesus or I sink in in the, in the sand and the mire. Oh, the same one who you consider it to be precious. They say, we don't need it. We have no need of this stone. We can build ourselves just fine, thank you very much, on our own righteousness. We can build ourselves just very fine, thank you very much, on whatever you want to build ourselves. But we don't need this stone. We have no use for this stone. We have no, no desire for this stone. In Matthew 21, Jesus writes, tells in a parable which fits along with this passage very well. In Matthew 21, verse 33. He says, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. This man owned a vineyard. He owned this land. He planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. This is his land. This is his His vineyard, which is his tower, and he lets his husbandmen, he he, he hires his husbandmen to to farm his land for him and to bring to him the harvest. His land, he owns it, he has the right to the harvest. And when the time of the fruit drew near, verse 34, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruit of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. And listen, they killed my servants, that was, that was, but maybe they had some kind of dispute. They killed the second set of servants, maybe it was some kind of other dispute. But it's, I'm going to my son. Surely, surely they will reverence my son. That means my son is, is my heir. My son is the one who, who, who also owns this land. What they did do to the son? But when the husbandman saw the son they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? What should he do to the husbandmen? He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the, the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now this parable is speaking of the Jewish people who who who, who, who have been promised the Messiah and in turn and rejected the Messiah. They rejected Jesus Christ. They had no need of Jesus Christ. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So he said, I'm going to miserably destroy those wicked men. Upon whosoever this stone shall fall, it will grind him to powder. It was true the Jews. My friends, the same principle applies to us today. All those who see this stone and disallow it. All those who see this stone and say, I have no need for this stone. I don't want this stone. Get him out of my, get him out of my company. Get him out of my midst. That stone will grind him to powder. There's a day of shame coming. A day when you, when, when every man and every woman and every child will find out that rudder that house they built upon, if the house has been built upon the rock of Christ, it is a, 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 a house that will stand. But as soon as that house has been built upon anything else, it will be ground to power. I said anything else. That cross, that, that encompasses all. Whether it's false gods or whether it's materialism or whether it's our own selfish pursuits whatever it may be if your life is built upon anything else if your hope if your trust is upon anything else outside of Jesus Christ my friends there's a day of shame coming there's a day of offense there's a day when He will miserably destroy those wicked men but if your house is built upon Jesus Christ my friends you can rest assured today that you can stand before God because you can survive because you are built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. This rock that He selected for you to rest upon. He provided the rock. He gave the rock. Oh, let us rest ourselves, our souls, our beings, our lives, our energies, our pursuits, all things upon Jesus Christ, the rock. How is it with you? How is it with you? What do you think? of Jesus Christ do you sense a need, need for him do you sense that your, that, that your house will crumble without him do you sense that there is no way that I can stand upon the dark shores of the crossing over Jordan without him or are you content to go it alone I want to tell you if you're content to go it alone my friends there's a day of shame coming there's a day when the owner will come to right the wrongs that have been done against his son. Amen. Two classes of people described here in 1 Peter 2. What's the difference in them? What is the difference? You have one group of people that is looking at a rock, a stone. They say, wow, that's better than a hope diamond. That's precious. That's valuable. It That's, that, that has, that has incredible worth. I see this story, oh, it's the most beautiful thing that my eyes have ever beheld. It's the most wonderful thing I can ever imagine. They drop all to view this stone. To just touch the stone. That's one group. The other group looks at the same stone. They both you, you see, see the same stone. They view this stone. They say, ooh, it's just a worthless rock. We let to skip it across the water. We have no need for this stone. It's ugly. It would never, never make a good centerpiece in our home. It's worthless. The same stone. Two people viewing the same stone, they see it completely differently. What's the difference? The difference is that one group, the first group that views it as being precious, as being valuable, as being worthy, sees it as the light shines upon it. The other group sees it from darkness. And it says to them, they love darkness rather than light. They would rather see it from the dark perspective. They love darkness rather than light. The same stone, one group sees it as being beautiful. The other as being worthless. Has God called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? How do you view Jesus Christ? There is no middle ground. There's only two groups described. One group sees it as precious. The other group sees it as being worthless. There's only two groups described. There's not a third group that's kind of ambiguous here. There's only two groups. Which group do you fall in? Which group do you find yourself in? You say, oh, I see him as being precious. I see that I have, there's no way, there's no way that I trust myself to stand before God in the last day. I don't want to be ashamed in that last day. My friends, if that's your story, if that's your story, the proper response to a God who's so valuable, who's so precious, who's so worthy, is to follow Him in baptism. That's the only response. The Bible says nothing of drylanders, as we have coined them, there's nothing at all of dry landers, Those that continually sit under the sound of the gospel and hear the gospel preached time after time after time. And maybe their hearts are even made to rejoice in Him. But they never stand before, stand before and publicly say, I claim Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He is my, he is my only hope in the last day. He is the rock in which I must cling. Oh, my friends, when you stand before the, before the people of God and say, I need the rock. Oh, you are signifying that you have built your house upon a firm foundation. In the book of Acts, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he was, he was preaching that powerful, convicting, amazing sermon, and he said before the people, Ye, ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain the Lord of glory. What was the response? He says they were pricked in their hearts. How did, how did you feel the first time that you realized that it was your sins that had slain and crucified the Lord of glory? How did you feel? Were you pricked in your heart? Are you pricked in your heart today to know that you had a part in rejecting, as we all did, rejecting, disallowing the stone? Were you pricked in your heart? Are you pricked in your heart today? If so, if so, it says, they, say, they, said, they said, but what must we do And Peter said, repent and be baptized. There's an urgency to baptism. There should be an urgency in your heart to take up your cross and follow Christ and claim him publicly as your rock, as your strength, as your source of help in time of trouble, in fact, in all times. I've enjoyed being here. And I thank you so much for your good attention. May God bless you as Brother Mike preaches.